Captain Kirk. Fascinating. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, pack lids and things to episode 21 of the Muppet Trek podcast. As always, I'm Steve. And as always, I'm Jarman, and we are here to compare, contrast and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? Uh, Those are the Muppets and Star Trek. We have been doing one to one reviews of the Muppet show and Star Trek, the original series. And tonight we're covering the Muppet show with special guest star Bruce Forsyth and Star Trek original series episode, The Return of the Archons. But before we get to the reviews, Jarman, do we have any feedback this week? Yes, we do. Uh, last Ooh. week uh, on our episode, I, I, I made some comment about how we didn't know who Kay Ballard was. Uh, yeah. And, and then I made a comment that our I think one of us did, at least, that our next guest was going to be Bruce Forsyth. But we also didn't really know who that was. <laughs> That's right. And I, I have. Uh, so I'll get into the comments. So from Daniel Peter Hitch, one of our longtime listeners from Play on Nerds, uh, Dan says, uh, wash your mouth out with soap, guys. Sir Bruce Forsyth was a national treasure and hardest working man in British showbiz. He is. Uh, on, that is what I have gathered. <laughs> he was on British screens for almost 70 years straight. Another great episode, though. <laughs> and to which I responded. I had only actually recently heard of him from an episode of Toast of London, uh, which is a great show. Sorry for our American ignorance, is what I said to him. And then Mike, at Jarek, gets in the conversation on Twitter and says, almost sacrilege, but backpedaled like pros. That's what Mike said. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're known for here to put at, uh, I guess, Muppet Rock. Backpedaling. Just backpedaling. (laughs) So we'll get into it soon. But so uh, about Bruce Forsyth, Steve, tell us about Bruce Forsyth. Who is this guy? All the things he just this that Hitch just said, performer whose career spanned seven decades and actually just passed away in 2017 at the age of 89. He Mm. started as a small time stage and variety performer. And after the war, he landed a job hosting a TV variety show and it just spiraled from there. Uh, he performed the role of Swineburn in the Disney classic Bedknobs and Broomsticks. He spent a ton of time as a game show host, including the British Price is Right. Hmm. And he received a British Lifetime Achievement Award from the British Comedy Awards in 1995. So another guy who is like uh, uh, famous for being famous. He's famous for being himself. Yeah, yeah being himself. He's definitely in that category. And what does our audience know him from? For our British listeners, he seems to be part of the cultural zeitgeist over there. Yeah. For us Americans, probably nothing. <laughs> I'm this sorry. episode of I'm the sorry, Muppet guys. Show. But, but to our British listeners, I just want to say I had to learn about Bruce Forsyth for this episode. So if anything, I'm a better person for it. Absolutely. Uh, but this week on the Muppet Show, <laughs> are we been pandering to our British listeners? Yes, we are for now. Okay, cool. For now. We love you guys. We'll continue doing that. Uh, on stage this week, Kermit introduces the opening act, The Snurf. Silly blue dancing creatures performed in the song in a little Spanish town is the name of the song. It's a really cool effect with the performers in black velvet against an ultra black background. It's a really, really neat effect. Next up, we get Bruce Forsyth performing with a large bird puppet. All I need is the girl. Another ultra black background effect. And it's really a fun number where he gets to interact with this huge puppet. Yeah. 
Following this, we find ourselves at the dance, where the best just joke this week is when a monster asks if he can light up. This is funny not only because of the visual gag that follows where he lights up like a Christmas tree, but also because it references a time when smoking indoors was commonplace. True. Uh, next up, we have the Gogolala Jubilee Jug Band performing the song I'm My Own Grandpa, a fun little ditty about how through a strange set of circumstances, a man becomes his own grandfather. <laughs> Afterward, we have the talk spot. Bruce admits that he buys that Kermit is a talking frog and also buys the chicken in his dressing room. This dissolves into a joke about the chicken not being for sale and the exchange of animals as currency, ending with Bruce insulting the exchange rate of pigs and Miss Piggy chopping him again. Up next, Sam the Eagle introduces Wayne and Wanda. This week, they perform trees. Wayne gets one line in before a tree falls on him, abruptly ending the act. Bruce Forsyth takes the stage, filling in for Fozzie. Bruce makes short work of Statler and Waldorf's heckling, inspiring Fozzie, who comes out on stage, and Bruce teaches him how to deal with hecklers and insult them back. This ends with Fozzie and Bruce performing the musical number side by side. Following this, we have a veterinarian's hospital. The big bit this week is that the doctor keeps calling the patient a chicken when he corrects him, exclaiming, duck, the staff ducks, thinking something's falling, only for something to actually fall at the end. It's a lot. Uh, we then get a, a lovely number with Bruce and Miss Piggy who perform Let There Be Love Together, uh, eventually joined by a backup group of pig singers, which is really cute. It is. Backstage this week, Kermit hears the duck from Veterinarian's Hospital practice this punchline quack. Fosse comes in to tell Kermit that he's learned how to deal with insulting audiences and wants Kermit to try him. Kermit boos Fozzy, who crumples immediately. <laughs> Later, Fozzie tries again, also asking Hermit to heckle and boo him. When heck, when Kermit boos him and heckles him, he hits Kermit with a rubber chicken in the face. The first Fozzie on Kermit violence. Yeah, which admittedly does stop the heckling. That's true. Uh, Kermit That's true. then assures Fozzie he won't be heckled that night because he has been cut from the show. Mm. And Fozzie is devastated. Fozzie then begs for his spot back, citing that the show has to have a stand-up spot. So Kermit decides to sit on Bruce Forsyth instead of Fozzie. Fozzie's angst then spills out on the stage when he joins Bruce and gets a lesson in heckling himself. This leads to the closing curtain. Kermit thanks Bruce Forsyth. Fozzie continues to practice his new insults, directing them at Kermit. Bruce tells him to have some humility, and Kermit insinuates that he's going to fire Fozzie if he keeps that crap up. <laughs> and that has been this week's episode of The Muppet Show. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the music this week. In a little Spanish town, it's a popular song from the 1920s. The music was written by Mabel Wayne, who is widely recognized as one of the first women composers to publish a true hit song. Oh. All I Need in, is the Girl from Gypsy by Stephen Sondheim. It's the original Broadway run of the show starred Ethel Merman, who is actually the host of the next Muppet Show episode. Yes. That we're I'm My Own Grandpa, made famous by a duo, Lonzo and Oscar. This is based off an anecdotal newspaper article first published in 1822 in the London Literary Gazette uh, about the proof of concept that a man could become his own grandfather. Well, also, it's been around forever. And, and I grew up with this song, actually, through uh, a more popular artist, at least here in the States, uh, Ray Stevens, who became like a weird, crazy uh, right wing Trump supporter guy later on in what? life. No. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, Ray Stevens did this song and it became very popular in like the early nineties, I believe. Um, but yeah, I'd listen to this song like crazy when I was a kid and it, I knew the words by heart. I think at one point, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Up next, Side by Side, written by Harry M. Woods, who brought us other popular songs like When the Red Red Robin Goes Bob Bob Bobbin' Along and Try a Little Tenderness. Try a Little uh, fun, Tenderness. <laughs> fun fact, all of his songs were written on piano, but he was born with no fingers on his left hand. Whoa. Interesting. Uh, Let There Be Love, a popular song which has been recorded by a ton of people, including Nat King Cole, Peggy Lee, Sammy Davis, and Michael Buble. Nice. So, Jarman, what did you think of this episode? Uh, I love this episode. And <laughs> I'm not just saying that because of the, the, the hate we got from our UK listeners. <laughs> Yes, this is definitely not to appease our UK no. listeners. Um, and I think I wrote down in my notes as I was uh, watching this episode that I am a little biased because I love standards. I love anything can be sung by lounge singers. Um, and also, he's Forsyth seems to be a really good comedian. He's funny. He's got good timing. He was good with the Muppets. Um, I love the songs. Um, the number with the two giant birds was funny and interesting. It, it integrated with the Muppets really well. Um, and it's like, this was a solid, solid episode. So it is taken my number one spot over Peter Yusinov. Whoa. This has become my favorite episode so far. Oh no. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Fair. I guess. <laughs> so what is apparently you different opinion? Please tell me. So I think that this episode suffers from what many episodes in these early seasons do, which in that. I don't think that Bruce F. Forsyth was a problem. If anything, I don't believe they featured him as well as they could. Oh, they did. He had some, he had a bunch, like two or three numbers and he was integrated yeah, within. But, but the, the bird number was too long. The bit ran short. Like, you know, it ran out. We got it. And then they just kept going, which is sort of a bad thing in this early seasons of the Muppet show sort of across the board. I am often um, finding myself thinking numbers go too long in these episodes. And that I did not feel that way this time for some reason or another uh, that. And then his time, his uh, time out on the stage with Fozzie, the, the bit where, you know, his, his back and forth with Stetland Warruff, I felt ran too long and they could have made side by side longer and gave him more time to feature. It would have been nice if they a had a longer song, song elsewhere. Yeah. If they had a longer song, that would have been nice because they had great harmonies. It was fun song to sing. Yeah. But I th I had a moment where I was just like, oh, my God, he he helped Fozzie get back at Statler and Waldorf. This is awesome. This is like <laughs> part of the canon. This is actually like a thing that's in the universe now that he actually finally got back at them because of Bruce Forsyth helping him out. And it was just I, I was like in, I was just energized by that scene. It was fun. Nice. OK, I never thought of it from a canistic point of view. Yeah, it's like this is a moment in like canonical 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 Muppet history. This has finally happened. It won't probably happen again, but it happened this time. <laughs> um, OK, yeah, I just once again, I just think this suffered from what not that it was a bad episode, but it suffered from I don't I think they've featured other people better. All right. I, I didn't feel that way. But so you put the kind of the middle. Yeah, middle, not bottom by any means. Sure, there. I mean, there's no Florence Henderson. <laughs> Absolutely not. This is at least Alina Horn away from Florence Henderson. <laughs> I want to ask teeth. you. This reminded me to ask. I've been meaning to ask for a few episodes now. Is that there is obviously canned laughter over uh, these episodes? But yeah, is, of course. Is any of this laughter real? Is there any kind of audience? Because well, the the people that they recorded were alive at some point. Well, yeah. <laughs> what? Like the, so, so in that regard, yes. <laughs> no, I mean like, but no. Well, like him doing like the stand. Puppets. They can't clap. No, but it, like him doing the stand-up session, 
um, he seemed to be reacting to laughter. And so the laughter we're hearing, I'm wondering, is like, was there some kind of audience there that he's hearing laughing at his we like figure? There's probably 15 to 30 people on cast and crew. Interesting. That are just behind the camera or people he's talking to or. So all audience reactions on this on this show are all just um, produced later on post-production. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely okay. can't. I just wanted to make sure because I was just like, it seemed interesting that that was. But it's possible they're reacting with cast and crew. That's and true. Other That's people. true. So our favorite Muppeteering in this episode, yes. what was your favorite Muppeteering this episode? So while I do think the bit ran long, the huge bird puppet was very impressive. That was mine as well. It just, it was a lot to integrate. I, and I can't believe the, uh, the amount of uh, choreography for that. With, with a runner up for the snurfs at the beginning. It's just a fun effect. And there were a lot of them and that was fun. Yeah. It was going to be the snurfs for me until I saw that number with him. And I was like, ah, no, that was probably more hard to coordinate because with a regular guy who's not a Muppeteer. And they had to coordinate all that together. So I thought that was really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, German, tell us about this week's episode from the original series. So we we both know that uh, Star Trek and Muppets are the same show, right? They're all very they similar. Are. So yes. that's why we're discussing now the return of the Archons, the exact same episode as the Bruce Forsyth episode of Muppets. So uh, the Enterprise in this episode goes to planet Beta 3 to find out what happened to the USS Archon that went missing over 100 years ago. So Sulu is the only one to beam up back to the ship from the initial landing party to find out what was going on. But when he gets to the ship, he is acting very strange. And we see him down the planet being zapped by some native on the planet and becoming very passive and like we're all part of the body and becoming very strange. (laughs) So Kirk, Spock and McCoy and a team go down to investigate further. And the inhabitants of the town are dressed in like 19th century Earth attire and they're ruled over by something called the Lawgivers and someone called Landru. Um, and as soon as they arrive, the inhabitants tell them that the festival is about to begin. And if you've seen The Purge, that's what's about to happen, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and people have speculated, and apparently in some interviews, apparently The Purge was partly inspired by this episode of Star Trek. So I mean, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. this was such an early an, an iteration of that kind of thing happening. So basically the clock strikes 6 p.m. and everyone in this town who was so polite and wonderful and nice and kind of like zombie like becomes nuts and starts basically uh, attacking each other or making out with each other. It's very strange. The sky becomes red. They said it's the red hour, but it lasts a red hour. hour. Yeah. So the Kirk and the crew seek refuge at a man called Reger's house because uh, someone said you could find a room there. Um, and one of the friends that's there at the Reger's house is a couple old dudes. Uh, they recognize that Kirk and his crew are not of the body. Um, and so he reports them to the lawgivers, which are these guys in these robes and these big staffs. Um, and they say, you must come with us to be absorbed. And Kirk says, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so, And this confuses the heck out of the lawgivers because apparently they've never been backsassed before in their entire life. They're just like, whoa, all right. Well, this guy's not saying yes. This is weird. Um, so once they, they do that, the, the lawgivers are very confused. And Reger volunteers to take Kirk and his crew to a hiding place where Landrew and the lawgivers cannot find them. But on the way, uh, some kind of weird telepathy takes over all the townspeople and they grab weapons and start attacking Kirk and his crew. So they start stunning them with their phasers. And along the way, they find one of the stun- people they stunned was the guy who initially went down to the planet with Sulu. It's one of their crew members. So they take him with them to a- the hiding place. That, um, but Landrew finds them. And he projects his image and tells them that they are not of the body and must be absorbed. 
Um, and so Reacher finally shares that the Archons were these people that were there before, uh, but they were pulled out of the sky by Landru. And as Kirk and his crew know, the USS Landru was our USS Archon was the ship that was there from before. Mm-hmm. And apparently it's pulled out of the sky by this Landru character. So this worries Kirk about the safety of the Enterprise. So he gets them on his communicator and tells Scotty that uh, that what's going on. And Scotty says there's these heat rays that are attacking the ship and pulling it down to the atmosphere. And they only have 12 hours until the ship is destroyed. So that puts a little bit of a timetable on this thing. Uh, Landrew sends out a sonic pulse that makes Kirk and his crew pass out. And when they waken, they're in a dungeon. And when Bones is missing, and suddenly he comes back and he's acting all mind-controlled like Sulu was earlier, saying, I'm of the body. Peace be with you. So Kirk and Spock are taken to the reabsorption chamber, uh, just as Bones was. But now a man who is part of the resistance to Landrew is in charge of the chamber. And he pretends to absorb them, but they're really just fine. So he tells them to act like they're absorbed and say, I'm of the body and all that crap. <laughs> uh, so uh, he and Reacher tell the crew how Landrew saved their society 6,000 6, years ago and put them into a, into a state of a simpler time. Um, but then Landrew must have died because it's been 6,000 years. Uh, but McCoy hears Spock and Kirk whispering to um, Reacher about this. And so he summons the lawgivers to report them. Um, and Kirk and Spock subdue the lawgivers and take their robes uh, to, to disguise themselves as lawgivers. And they go with another one of the resistance to the Hall of Audiences to confront Landru himself. And a projection of Landru appears again and threatens to kill them and kill everyone who ever came in contact with them while they were here to excise the wound from the body. So basically, he's going to kill hundreds of people who know that they've arrived here. Uh, so Kirk and Spock blast a nearby wall where they, they think the projection is coming from. And it's revealed that Landrew is just a large supercomputer that was built by the real Landrew 6,000 years ago. Uh, so first, uh, the computer neutralizes their phasers. Uh, so they're, they seem to be helpless. But then Kirk pulls out his best Kirk foo ever, which is confusing computers. This is the first instance where Kirk confuses computers, and this happens throughout the series. Okay. So okay. basically, he's like, uh, well, the people, the body needs creativity to survive, and you're squashing their creativity by not giving them free will. So you're the real danger to the body, and your prime directive is to save the body. So you must destroy yourself because you're the evil. And Landry's like, no, confused, ah, 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 confused. And so Landry destroys himself. Uh, so <laughs> once he does that, the people all freed from their mind control. Uh, the ship, uh, the Enterprise is saved from the heat rays. And uh, basically they can go back to the Enterprise and they leave a, a counselor on the planet to help them go back to a regular society. Apparently that's going to solve all their problems. And uh, they all fly off. Kirk is very nonchalant about it. And that's the end of the episode. So, yeah. That is uh, Return of the Air Cards. So this contains nice. the first mention of the Prime Directive um, in all of Star Trek, which is non-interference with uh, you know civilizations. Uh, and we've mentioned Ben Stiller on the episode before because he's he collects props from Star Trek because he's a huge fan. Uh, he named his production company Red Hour after this episode, which is pretty cool. Uh, hmm. This is the first instance of instance of Spock hitting another character in the face with his fist. Uh, it doesn't happen, I don't think, many times again, or if at all. Um, Not even Kirk points it out. Yeah, exactly. Kirk's like, uh, "Well, that seems very, you know, 
very primitive. <laughs> um, and so the, lo- uh, the locations for the episode were filmed at the same uh, set for Mayberry as previous episodes were in Miri. And later on, episodes as well are filmed here, but it's also the same thing as the Andy Griffith show. Um, so it's the same. Okay. And th- these, these sets were originally built for Gone with the Wind uh, in 1939. So these sets have been around for a long time. So that's the trivia for this episode. Uh, Steve, what did you think of this episode? So for me, this is kind of overall a middling episode. All right. The things I like, though, I, I loved how eerie the episode is. Uh, the, the blank stares and smiles of the town people, the juxtaposed with the violence and sex of the Red Hour. Felt very Twilight um, Zony. <clears throat> very off-putting in, in a good way. I was also relieved that for once it wasn't another alien race just laughing at humility, humanity's like <laughs> utility. Yes. Like, I was like, oh, thank God, it's a computer. <laughs> it's an original idea of some sort. And it was fun to see Bones and Sulu as devotees. Mm. And, and of the body. That was a fun aspect of this episode. True. Things I disliked maybe a little bit. The red time was still a little hazy to me. Clearly there are more rules, like there are age restrictions they make mention of. And I wish, I wish they would have gone into it a little bit more. Maybe I agree. Uh, the drama with the enterprise really felt unnecessary. I think they could have just easily been like, something's blocking the signal for us to beam you up. Hmm. Like I didn't think it just, it felt unnecessary. That's true. Um, but overall, kind of a middle episode for me. There were no real heavy standouts in my book. Yeah, I think uh, the only uh, a positive outtake from this is that we have some good moments of Kirk being a good leader and captain because he has some crew there that he directs very well. And you can see him being very captain-y. Um, very in charge. Yeah, but there's in other episodes I've mentioned some great dialogue and great back and forth between the main three, uh, Spock, uh, Kirk and bones. And there wasn't a lot of that in this. It was, it was okay. Yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, there, I very middling for me too. I, um, Spock's cloak might save it for me though. Cause, uh, <laughs> it was pretty awesome. <laughs> and I want one of those. See, this you awesome, just want that cloak, this awesome black cloak that Spock is wearing. It's just badass. But, uh, yeah. I'm with you right there. It, it's cool. That's inspired a lot. It inspired Ben Stiller and also the purge, uh, but they didn't explain that purge very well. So I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So mid- middling episode, middling episode. Fair enough. So let's talk about two Trek connections. I've got this week. Love it. Both Forsyth and Shatner have both received televised comedy roasts. Uh. And, uh, then there's this British satirical news panel show called Have I Got News for You that apparently has been on for a long time. Mm-hmm. It has rotating guest hosts. And up until 2012, Bruce Forsyth and William Shatner held the record for oldest hosts at <laughs> age 82 until Sir Roger Moore hosted at age 85 and dethroned both of them. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Roger Moore died like a, like three years ago, four years ago, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, good for them, old dudes. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk some similarities. All right, you have three, so you go first, buddy. Both feature violence between characters, the town folk, and Fozzie hitting Kermit with a duck. Fair enough. Rubber uh, chicken, rubber chicken. Rubber chicken. Uh, Fozzie is trying to take down the status quo of always being heckled, but always fails on his own. But then an outsider, Forsyth helps him take it down just as the resistance Ooh. has always failed to take down Landrew until Kirk and his crew helped them take it down. Wow. Yeah. That was a long walk. It's profound, man. 
both have chops, Piggy chopping Bruce and uh, Kirk with the lawgivers. And Kirk actually gets a double chop in this. Oh, a double Kirk chop. That's pretty double good. Kirk chop. So uh, Fozzie keeps fainting, just like how all the people faint in this episode when they're hit by a stun. <laughs> both feature people begging Fozzie for his spot in the show and that guy getting taken away by the lawkeepers. <laughs> they're the same episode. It's the same show, guys. <laughs> oh, oh, what's that? I, I don't know. What are you talking about? Uh, oh, that. Oh, my God. I hear that. That's weird. So now it's time to show where we take one character from one episode and transport them to the other episode and see how it works out. Uh, Steve, what you got for us this time around? So taking from Star Trek and bringing it to the Muppets, all of the town folk. <laughs> come and replace all of the dancers at the dance and it's just dancing very stiffly and smiling blankly in close-ups of couples as they like bow uncomfortably to each other or wave or say good day i'm of the body <laughs> of the body as they're like circling around each other and smiling that'd be like a twilight zone episode that's really great <clears throat> yes uh i would have bruce forsyth replacing landrew because he would have soul and then Kirk would not be able to defeat him. <laughs> That's right. Uh, that is actually also mine. Oh. Uh, but it was because uh, I would just love the projection to do little cheeky stand-up bits. <laughs> or like classic uh, standard songs. That'd be great. With like a really charming British accent. Of course. <laughs> uh, I had a uh, Landrew would replace Sand the Eagle. Uh, he could manipulate everything and make Wayne and Wanda actually finish a song for once. I don't know if they know more than one line. <laughs> they might not. Maybe they're rigging it so they don't have to finish a song ever. <laughs> that's right. That's the thing. They just have bad memories. Yeah, that's that's possible. But Landrew couldn't solve that problem. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> Fan theory. Fan theory. All right. So that brings us to the end of episode 21 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for episode 22 of The Muppet Show with special guest Ethel Merman. And original series episode Space Seed. Hell yeah. So, from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds.